Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. There are only two people who have had more number one hits than Max Martin, and they are both Beatles. If his name, Max Martin, isn't ringing a bell, he's written some of the biggest smash hits for people like Britney Spears, Adele, Taylor Swift. He has had a major hand in writing the pop songs that have been stuck in your head for the past few decades. And he's really not into doing interviews. So wait until you hear the rare career-spanning chat he has with Tom Power. He'll give you a deep dive on writing and what it's been like to see his big hits turned into the soundtrack for a new Broadway musical. Plus, remember when you were in high school, how weird it was to imagine that your teacher had a life outside of the classroom? Erez Zobari is a high school teacher by day, a musician by night. She'll tell you how she walks that line. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Okay, you just heard the Backstreet Boys with everybody, Britney Spears with Crazy, and The Weeknd with Take My Breath. All of those songs and many, 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 many more songs were written or produced by Max Martin, legendary Swedish songwriter and producer. He's responsible for some of the most influential and formative pop music of the last three decades. And just to give you some perspective here, he is the songwriter with the third most number one singles on the Hot 100 chart, behind only... Sir Paul McCartney and John Lennon. So, yeah, he's kind of a big deal. His latest project is nothing like he's ever done before. It's called And Juliet. It's a musical that reimagines William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. But this version is hinged on this. What if Juliet didn't die at the end of the story? It's full of hit songs written by Max. It's playing on Broadway now. Here's Tom Powers' conversation with Max Martin. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Um, let's listen to something and talk a little bit about hearing the songs through the context of, of the play. So um, can I get you to put on your headphones just for a second? Absolutely. That is the cast. You pointing to me? Were they trying to? Were they cueing me? Yeah, they were cueing you. I'm helping out. You are a great producer. (laughs) In all parts of your life, you are a great producer. I don't know. It's just bad habits. I don't know. No, this is cool for me. Don't worry about it. So that's the cast of Anne Juliet performing Katy Perry's hit "Roar." 
So for, to catch people up who wouldn't know you that well, you wrote and produced that song for Katie. And it's a, a really powerful scene in the musical where Juliet decides in that moment that she's going to take charge of her own life. She's going to start making decisions for herself, which is not something that a woman in the you know mid-centuries would, would be doing. What's it like to see that song through that lens? Well, I mean, in this, you know, when you see the show, and uh, and again, going back to when we started this thing, to amplify the feeling that you know, Katie put into that song, and see it in context with the story of someone sort of growing and becoming, uh, I don't know, independent or or realizing that they have sort of their life in their own hands and all that stuff. It's mind blowing to me. But that, that's, that, I feel like that comes up a lot throughout the songs in the show, which, of course, are the songs that have come from your career, either by yourself or, or with other people. You know, like even the show and Juliet is this reimagining of Juliet from Romeo and Juliet's life, you know, a largely feminist point of view. It's all about her finding her voice. It's all about her taking charge. And it's your songs and your songs you've written with others that, have, that are strung together to tell this story. Does hearing the songs in this context tell you something that you didn't know? about the songs you've written? Um, I mean, you know, you're always, a lot of these songs are very old to me. I mean, I started, I just, we just talked about it in the, literally the green room that had green walls. Um, that um, I've been doing this since 1993 as a sort of professional, so to speak. So it's next year is going to be 30 years. So a lot of these songs have been with me for such a long time. So, you know, it's hard to hear them as new compositions in that way and I think that's been the most exciting thing for me to see those songs come alive again and uh, and 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 be part of telling a different story does it make you hear them differently like with a different lens with a different context you know absolutely you know when we started this project uh, the most important thing for me was that there, there had to be a great story you have to go to the theater and not even if you haven't heard one song you're still you know you're supposed to enjoy the the show yeah. and, and be sort of uh, caught up in the, in the, in the story and all that stuff. Um, and that, but I was nervous about, you know, a lot, a lot of the early stuff that, that we wrote, you know, you know, I was insecure about it because, you know, I don't know, it's, it's pretty, you know, I'm an insecure songwriter deep down and, uh, you but, know, but have a real, like a real, I'm doing this now, the, the air quotes, yeah, yeah. Uh, writer look at it and like really dissect the lyrics and stuff like that. I was like, because some of those songs I, write, I wrote by myself, like Baby One More Time and all those songs, right? So I was insecure, like, oh, okay, please be kind kind of thing. But they did very well. No, no, I know, I know, but you know, you have like a real, I mean, David Wistree is a genius, you know, you have him like looking at it and felt, I don't know, I, I got really, I got back to when I was like 18 and, and but it, hey, he did a great job. The way he sort of used the songs is a miracle to me, the way it actually, yeah. it sounds like, to me at least, like the songs are actually written for the show. Something wasn't right here Oh baby, baby I shouldn't have let you go And now you're out of sight yeah. 
I mean, and he and I are around the same age. I mean, we grew up with this music. Yeah. This is, this is the, I mean, just, I'm sure for David, this was this was not something he was going to take in and go like, well, I'm not sure. Though I do want to talk about that in a second. Yeah. yeah. Well, one moment like that yeah. that I loved in the show. Okay. But, you know, these songs would be very, very meaningful to him and for a lot of people in the audience. I hope you saw, I hope you can see that. But the thing is, you have to remember that I'm a studio rat. You know, I'm in, and I'm in basically in a basement all day, all, all year. And uh, I don't get to see maybe, you know, the same way like artists who are actually performing the songs get that feedback and they hear the stories and what the songs means to people. I don't really... I haven't been sort of um, exposed with that uh, as much, maybe. Um, but that's also something that, you know, when we, you know, the show runs in London now and I've been out there and people who would recognize me, who you know, the total nerds who actually know what I look like, uh, come up to me and tell me all these stories about these songs, what, they, what it meant to them. And, and it was really like a mind-blowing experience to hear that, you know, okay, maybe it's more than a pop song that I loved, but I, I never really got to experience what, what it meant to other people until we did this show. I mean, I, hear, I tell you what I, I find interesting about that, and um, I, I don't know if you'll have an answer for it, but I want to ask it anyway. If you look at like your, even, so if you look at Anne Juliet as being the story of a woman taking control over her own story, and the songs that are in Anne Juliet about a woman taking control of her own story that come from your career over the years. You know, you look at like, you know, it, 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 Britney Spears songs. You look at like, you know, everything. I think I have a couple here, like the the first Britney record, which was taking her from kind of nothing starting out to, you know, the songs you wrote and her incredible talent brings her to who she becomes, you know, like Taylor Swift comes to you again, incredible talent, incredible career on his own. She comes to you and you guys make something really beautiful together. I knew you were trouble when you walked in. So shame on me now. Blew me to places I've never been. Till you put me Katie Perry was a, was a gospel singer. Yeah. And you guys work together and you, you know, you create this whole career for her. Again, I don't know if you have an answer for it, but I started to see that you have there's something in your work about about women empowerment. There's something in in your work for a dude studio rat in Sweden, right? To be able to tell these stories pretty effectively, Max. The way I look at my job, so to speak, is that you know an artist comes in, and your job is now to sort of materialize their dreams and their visions of what they want their art to be. It might look from the outside that that yeah. It's like this beautiful thing, and maybe it is, but, but in the studio, when you're in the studio and you're working, it's very like hands-on, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? And, you know, hopefully I can help uh, realizing that, that vision, you know? Doesn't that take like a tremendous, doesn't that take some empathy? Like, doesn't that take an ability to hear what someone's going through and to not want to modify it, but to help them express it? Absolutely. I think uh, you have to be open-minded and uh, especially as you, you know, grow older, you know, when it comes to what, what you want to say, maybe I could relate to some of these things more when I was in my twenties. Yeah. Um, but I find it maybe more important now to, especially when it comes to lyrics that, you know, it has to sort of be their words and their, their stories rather than, you know, a 51 year old guy, you know. Is that is that the trick to the longevity? Because another thing when you watch and Juliet is that for people who would be listening to this thinking that it's it's the 
Backstreet Boys hits and the Britney Spears hits, which, by the way, are amazing. But it, it's all, I mean, it's its a broad swath of, you know, your career. I mean, you know, spanning, as you mentioned, like 30 years, mm. you know, the, the weekend tunes are in there. I can feel my face when I'm with you. Jesse J tunes are in there. The Pink tunes are in there. Is that is that where the longevity comes from, Max? There's not many people with a career like you. Well, someone asked actually. Someone asked me this the other day. Um, it's apparently a thing that you've been around as long as I have, uh, doing it at some kind of, I don't know, high level or whatever you want to call it. I hate that expression, but you know what I'm saying. You're doing, you're doing pretty good with it. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, you know what? You're not bad. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay. Thanks. <laughs> so I can, I can still, you know, it's okay for me to continue? Uh, you know what? Okay. Okay, okay sure. Uh, <laughs> I got permission. Great. Uh, no, but like, um, I think uh, the only, the, the, you know, I, I've never been afraid of, uh, I always wanted to collaborate and, and with no sort of master plan or anything like that in mind, like, ooh, I need to do this to stay relevant or anything like that. I always liked working with people. And not so much thinking I, you know, again, going back to I'm an insecure songwriter. I'm too insecure to do a lot of this alone. Yeah. Um, and I like working with younger talent and trying, you know, try to learn and, and, and sort of understanding that some of these things, it's, it's hard to, you know, be on top of beat making for 30 years, for yeah. instance. And so like instead when we did the, the weekend record, you know, I worked with this guy, Oscar Holter who is an amazing uh, guy who knows all about, you know, the, the, the beat making and all that stuff. And so he can help me um, stay relevant, basically. Um, but yeah, I, th I feel like that might be something that, that, that helped me sort of stick around by default being the way I am sort of kept me curious and, and in that way sort of stuck around for a minute. I did hear one story about you. I think it was like 2000 to 2008. It was the longest stretch that you didn't have a number one song. Mm -hmm. Up until then, you had had a real amazing string of them. And after that, you had a really amazing string of them. And it was during that time, that's when you learned how to play guitar. You mm -hmm. weren't playing a lot of guitar up mm -hmm. to that point. And that's where Since You've Been Gone and some other songs right. come from. Am I, am I right about that? Absolutely. You know, I came to a point, you know, it was almost like the, the dot-com crash in, in the 90s where when, 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 when the Britney and the Baxter Boys sort of sound, you know, Pharrell came along and all these other really amazing, cool producers, you know, brought in, you know, like pop music works like that, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden there's a new sound. I was like, good gracious, as bodacious, uh, flirtatious, trying to show patience. I'm waiting for the right time to shoot my speed, you know, waiting for the right time to flash them keys, and I'm... And uh, I didn't really realize it. I found myself thinking that's all bad music. And what we were doing was the kind of good music yeah. until I realized that, you know what? The world has moved on and we're actually making the, to simplify the, the bad, the, the, the non-relevant, uh, whatever you want to call it. So I started spending more time in the U.S. Uh, just to get new perspective. And um, we arrived in New York and my daughter was, I think she was three at the time, on the plane, she developed chickenpox. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The, yeah. So we were stuck in a hotel for two weeks. Um, so I went down on to the guitar center there in, in New York, and uh, I was like, all right, 
I, I don't know how to play a guitar. I was a piano singer guy. Yeah. Um, let's do that these two weeks just to try. I mean, and by the way, I can't, still can really play. I'm a, you know, campfire dude, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, and the, kind of the first thing I wrote was the sort of the riff of Since You've Been Gone. Here's the thing, we started friends. If you listen to that song, it's like two notes. Of, you know, it's not very complicated. <laughs> and, 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 but it kind of automatically brought me back to being naive again uh, by default because I didn't really know how to do it. So it, it just turned out to, to be like this great move in, in a weird way. I mean, that's, that's what we were just talking about, the yeah. idea of, of trying to figure out what's at the core, yeah. what's at the essence of, of exactly. the songs. I also heard about you that, and I, and I caught it last night, I heard it before, and I, caught, I paid attention during Angelia last night to try and catch it, um, is the use of grammar in some of your songs. Uh, so I think it's in Show Me Love mm-hmm. by Robin. Show me love, baby, show me what you're all about. You're the one that, you're the one that I ever needed. Mm-hmm. And there was another one. There was the Ariana Grande one. Um, na- uh, whom, whom who we really are. Now that I've become who I really yeah. are. Yeah. I find this really, really interesting. Okay. In how you treat the language and how it becomes so massive. Can you talk to me at all about that? About your, like, how you... Can you talk to me a little bit about that, about grammar, about how maybe right. that doesn't matter to you when you write these songs? To be honest, uh, you know, we English is not my first language, which most of the listeners by now have figured out. So to me, phonetics really matter. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, let me put it this way, there's a big part of the world who do not speak English. Yes. But these songs, you know, not only my songs, I mean, a lot of songs... Uh, are massive in these countries. Um, my theory is that it's about how it sounds and how it makes you feel when you hear these words. And I think Abba is a really great example of that with, you know, mamma mia and all, money, money, all of that sort of phonetically catchy, uh, if that makes any sense. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, exactly. Man, There's a lot of that yeah. sort of sticky, just sounds great. Even though you don't understand it, it, feel, it felt good to me. And I think that stayed with me. Um, so when we write a song, a lot of times you, you know, I put down a melody, for instance, and I, and I just sing gibberish. But a lot of times the, the phonetics of the nonsense lyrics sound good. So now whoever's going to write the lyrics, if it's someone else, now has, there's a lot of rules involved because I, I tend to want to keep the phonetics of the way it sounds. But it's basically, all right, make, make sense out of this kind of thing. Um, to me, a, a phonetic kind of wins. If, it's, if the lyric is like so good and for the story and all that stuff, it, it'll obviously win. But if it's like 50-50, phonetics always wins. If, does this make any sense? No, it absolutely yeah. makes sense. And I think that, audio, like, I think what you tap into there is, 
is a tendency by a lot of people to over intellectualize and, and sort of get anxious about the lyrics mm -hmm. of their songs where like ultimately if it's received, right. if it's received by an audience in a, in a beautiful way, that's right. really, I mean, that's, that's far more powerful than anything that words can say, you know? Yeah. And I also think that, you know, for me, melody is kind of my, I don't know, go to place. I, you know, that's what I love. And, and when I listen to a song, I tend to listen to the, see if there's a good melody in there. If I like the melody, then I go to, all right, what, what are they actually saying? Um, and so, and a lot of people are different like that. Some people only listen to lyrics. It's just a preference of what you, what you're into, I guess. I have a question about your bridges in your songs. Mm-hmm. I'm wow, you're you're going in there. Okay, cool. I mean, can I can I nerd for you? Absolutely, I you're love cool it. with the nerding. Absolutely, I'm a nerd. I've been holding back on nerding to be oh, honest. No, with you. you can go as nerd as you want. So in a lot of the early songs, I've noticed that after the chorus, after the bridge, there's a repetition of the chorus, but with a different meter and a different melody. Mm -hmm. For people listening to this, I'll give them just an example. So let's take. Um, oops, I did it again. Right. Um, the chorus is. Oops, I did it again. This is not for your benefit, Max. I played with your heart. Sounds pretty good. Got lost in the game. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. Ooh, baby, baby. Okay, and then we have the, the bridge. Right. And then it's, oops, I did it again to your heart. feels like a bridge right but it's the same the word lyrics as the chorus yeah. same thing for i want it that way right ain't nothing but a yeah. heartache ain't nothing but a mistake i could go on i i got into this the other night right. and i i got a lot of them right i think it's really interesting and i have never heard anyone ask you about it right can you talk to me a little bit about was that intentional where did that come oh from? yeah super intentional uh i guess the i don't i can't remember how we sort of came up with that concept but i i think I think it was, you know, uh, uh, an attempt to not bore the listener. And, but the, the whole trick was that they had to, when you wrote it, it had to match. You had to be able to put them together and play at the same time. And it totally works. And, the, and with the, you can just put them on top of each other and it's very seamless. Yeah. Seamless, is it? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, was, I guess it was just an attempt to keep people not changing the channel kind of thing. I love how you can hear how tickled Tom is to be talking to Max Martin and also that he is brave enough to sing those songs for Max Martin. This is good. That was the first part of Tom's conversation. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. More Max Martin after this. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Tell me why The reason I do this still is that you look for that feeling when you're in the studio and you're done with the song and it feels amazing and you feel proud of yourself and everyone's happy and it sounds great and all that stuff. If I could bottle that, 
Then I'd be rich. Just imagine, imagine how good that feels. That was Max Martin speaking there. And earlier in the show, you heard the first part of his conversation with Tom Power. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom. You're listening to Q. Max is a legendary songwriter and producer who's responsible for some of the biggest, most formative pop music of the last few decades. Max and Tom have talked a bunch about his latest project. It's a musical called And Juliet. And here's the thing, Max Martin is a famously mysterious person who doesn't do many interviews. So I think Tom really made the best of this rare opportunity in the next part of their conversation. I have a question about your bridges in your songs. Mm-hmm. Wow, no- you're, you're going in there. Okay, cool. I'm a, can, I, can I nerd for you? Absolutely. You're I love cool it. with the nerding? Absolutely. I'm a nerd. I've been holding back on nerding, to oh, be honest. No, you can go as nerd as you want. So in a lot of the early songs, I've noticed that after the chorus, after the bridge... There's a repetition of the chorus, but with a different meter and a different melody. Mm-hmm. For people listening to this, I'll give them just an example. So let's take, um, oops, I did it again. Right. Um, the chorus is, oops, I did it again. This is not for your benefit, Max. I play with your heart. Sounds pretty good. Got lost in the game. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. Ooh, baby, baby. Okay, and then we have the, the bridge. Right. And then it's, oops, I... Did it again to your heart. Oops, I did it again to your heart. Got lost in this game, baby. Feels like a bridge. Right. But it's the same word lyrics as the chorus. Same thing for I Want It That Way. Right. Ain't nothing but a heartache. Ain't nothing but a mistake. I could go on. I, I got into this the other night, right. and I, I got a lot of them. Right. I think it's really interesting, and I have never heard anyone ask you about it. Right. Can you talk to me a little bit about Was that intentional? Where did that come oh, from? Oh, yeah, super intentional. Uh, I guess the, I, don't, I can't remember how we sort of came up with that concept, but I, I think it was, you know, a, a, an attempt to not bore the listener and... But the, the whole trick was that they had to, when you wrote it, it had to match. You had to be able to put them together and play at the same time. And it totally works. And, the, and with the, you can just put them on top of each other and it's very seamless. Yeah. Seamless, I was saying. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, was, I guess it was just an attempt to keep people not changing the channel kind of thing. At that point, like, are you, back in that era, when you were just, that Backstreet Boys, Britney mm-hmm. Spears, NSYNC era, were you like? Did you did you have an idea of how to just how to do it? What do you mean? Yeah, good question. I don't know. Did you have an idea? <laughs> <laughs> did you have an idea of? And then listen, forgive if you don't want to talk about the old. No, no, no. Yeah. This is great. Uh, did you have an idea of like? Okay, I think I know what will work chord progression wise or lyric wise or. Um, Time. Oh, you mean if it was like it work in in terms of if uh, it was a hit song? Be, yeah, oh, a hit yeah, song. Because yeah. you were just really knocking them out, Max. Um, you know, one of the things that I hear about pop music in general, I think, uh, but, you know, you, you tend to pay attention to what's been said about yourself. Yeah. And is that, you know, oh, pop music is, you know, it's, ah, you know, it's so easy and simple and all of that stuff. And it's, you know, you just do it for commercial reasons or whatever. Yeah. Money and all that. And, but that, you know, Let's set the record straight. I just love, I just happen to love it. Everybody works differently, and I'm not saying one way is better than the other. Um, 
but um, there's a lot of lot of time being spent on this stuff that sounds so for some you know easy or simple whatever you want to call it i think i think you are the greatest testament to that you know i know so many people who fell in love i mean i, I might include myself in this but i know so many people and friends of mine who have made it their jobs you know by watching you and hearing you, you know, how you knocked out this pop music, how you cared and you put the thought into the pop music. I think what I was curious about was like back then when you look at like, cause you were like on a, on a bit of a streak, like yeah. you were really just everything you were putting out was hitting, hitting number one. Yeah. Looking back, any idea what was going on then? What, what, what was happening in you? Um, the thing is that we didn't really know what was going on because you always have to remember this is before the internet. Yeah. Um, so you weren't really aware of, you know, comments or forums or all that stuff that you can access now, you know, when you release a song, you, you go into these forums and say, okay, what does people think? That wasn't existing. Um, I remember when I got the phone call about when Baby Warmer Time uh, hit number one on the Billboard chart uh, in 99 or yeah. something. And I didn't even kind of knew what, I mean, I knew it was big and that was a, you know, it was a big thing and all that stuff. But I, w I remember I was on the computer in the studio working on something. I was literally sitting like this, you know, with the phone like this and someone on the other line's like, Hey, congratulations, you're number one and all that. And I was like, great. And then hung up and just continued working. I would never, it was never like a, Oh, let's, you know, celebrate. And it's like, we didn't really, again, going back to, it was, we were so naive and, we heard all these numbers flying around about like, oh, you sold, you know, this amount of records. And they were like, cool, great. Let's go to work kind of thing. Because at this point, especially in the beginning, you know, when you finally get the shot to work with the thing that you love the most, that was all that mattered. You know, I was, I was in the studio. I think I, you know, was in the studio for like every day. And when I say every day, I mean like Christmas, New Year's, birthdays, all of that stuff, every day. You hear similar stories about like tech companies when they start out in the garage or something and they work, you know, it's kind of like that, yeah. how we just dived into it. Like I still feel weird on Friday afternoon and I'm like, oh, right. I'm Because I don't work, I try not to work weekends anymore. That's like a thing for me. It's like, oh, it's so nice. I'm off <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, you put in the hours. That's what it, that's what it took. Well, yeah, um, but it wasn't like a deliberate like oh i have to be successful no, it wasn't it was it was just it was very pure yeah very pure i mean I'm, well and that makes me so happy now that in when you get to see i want to make you happy it's good i appreciate that well yeah. you have <laughs> i it makes me so it makes me so happy then that you are able to sit in that audience this thing that you were in a dimly lit room for right well let me put it this way I wanted that way may not have registered that it became a kajillion seller and millennium and larger than life, which is a jam, by the way, becomes, you know, uh, it becomes larger than life, you know, Britney. And then the run, the run of hits mm -hmm. since, right? You, you were getting numbers back that didn't really mean anything. Right. But you get to be in a room right now, surrounded by people who were formed by that music, right. who are now grown up, who are now in the theater and who are able to tell you through the lens of this musical that your music meant an awful lot to them. Right. And that's been one of the most amazing things about this journey, creating this musical, is that. That I, it kind of dawned on me, all of these things, all of these stories that I get to hear. You know, people who've, I don't know, all this passive life that, that, that 
where people are like, hey, I went through this, it was really hard, and I listened to this song, and it really helped me, and all that stuff. That's like mind blowing. Um, but it, it's not until now that I kind of realized it. You know, it's it's kind of weird in a way. I, I asked a couple of my friends who do inspired by you, but do work writing songs for other mm -hmm. artists. And Max, you don't get many opportunities to talk to you. So I said to them, I said, do you have a question I might be able to ask Max Martin for you? And they all were, they talked about it without me for days and days and days. Okay. And they landed on one. It is pretty specific, Okay. but I, I think you might have an answer for them. Okay. Say you're working with like a, a, a really big name artist, you know, an artist who's going to sell a, a bunch of copies of the record, you know, a, an artist that's pretty well esteemed, like, you know, a weekend, a Katy Perry, a, a, a someone like that. You're writing a song together, two of you together are writing a song, and they insist on one part of the song and you're hearing it and you just don't think it's going to work. You don't think it's the right move. Do you let them go and put it on because it makes them happy? Or do you subtly try to convince them to change it? What do you do? This is a really good question. This is something that happens, of course. You know, when I started out, I was much more like militant about it. it has to be a certain way. You have to sing it a certain way. And, and I've tormented singers for years to, to get to that point. Now, lately, or the past, I don't know, 15 years, you learn that you know what, there's probably more than one way to do it and it's still great. So that's one part of it, you know. I don't trust myself enough uh, on certain things. If if the room is telling me like, no, 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 this is the way to go, I'm, I gladly give up, right? But, okay, how do I say this <laughs> without getting in trouble? Um, let's say it's the bridge or let's say there, it's something that where I feel like, Eh, we can probably get away with it. I have a tendency of maybe letting go a little easier. If it's uh, something that I consider is the DNA or the the main thing of it. The hook. The hook or something. I tend to fight harder for it. Now, it also makes it easier because a lot of times I'm there to be that person. Uh, to They kind of look for you for those questions. So it's I wouldn't say it's a it's rarely a problem where it's like, fine, you know, you walk out of there and you're pissed off or something. That, that rarely happens. Is there an example of a song? Not, I'm not going to get you in trouble. Is there an example of a song where you were wrong where you, oh. or, or, or where you were, you were right to leave it alone? You were like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but I'll let him do it anyway. And then it ends up becoming a big hit song. I've been wrong so many times. And that's the thing. And I think that's what you learn from that. You know, you're wrong. You, you fight for something and you let it go. And it's, and it's amazing. Um, I mean, because you have the thing is this that you never know, and uh, it's all subjective, right? And um, you know, I've had it all. I've had I've had songs where I was sure it was going to be the biggest thing in the world, and it totally flops. I've had the opposite, where like, oh, I don't know, and it becomes the biggest thing, and some. It's just, and that's kind of like the mystery of 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 what we're doing of art in general. I think is that it's all you know. Once it's out there, it kind of, especially now, you know takes on its own life and I thought you knew when you said you never know and people have said that to me forever like oh you never no. know what's going to become a hit I thought of all the people in the listen, world listen you know when we were mixing shake it off yeah knowing what Taylor Swift is to the world and and listening to that song and uh you know you can obviously be like this is probably gonna go yeah. you know uh, given the circumstances and all that stuff. So it's, there's so many variables about it. 
going back to Roar, uh, I was 100% sure. You know, when she, when she sang that chorus, I'll never forget it. because we were doing it in Santa Barbara and I was driving home that night and I had like a little bounce of it listening to it on the way I was it was like there's no way that this is not gonna resonate in some shape or form at least you never know how big obviously yeah but we just did what we thought was great and yeah. then sort of what happened afterwards and I, I still and I still live by that that and I say this all the time the feeling the reason I do this still is that you look for that feeling when you're in the studio and you're done with the song and it feels amazing and you feel proud of yourself and everyone's happy and it sounds great and all that stuff. That's really when, the, if I could bottle that, then I'd be rich. You know, that, that, that feeling is, is amazing. Whatever happens afterwards doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. I mean, it matters. Obviously, I want in front, you know, for the artist to not that I'm failed them and all that, you yeah. know, insecure talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, that's what I'm looking for. The feeling when you listen back to the song and it's like, wow, this is, I'm proud of this. This is great. Um, we've been looking for, I've been trying to hide it, but I'm a real nerd about your music and I did a piss poor job of hiding it. But uh, we've been looking forward to talking to you since I started on this show about oh, six really? years ago, but we didn't think it was ever possible because you don't do many interviews. I don't. Well, so I'm grateful and thank you uh what it is what is it about this show and juliet and maybe what it means to you that's made you want to step out and actually start talking a little bit about it um you don't you don't talk a whole no lot. i you know i i attend I, I tend my you know i want the music to do the talking and 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 that's what's so great about writing music for other people that they can do and go out and talk about it um i love my life in the in the shadows i guess the main reason is that it's just there's a lot of people involved in this show, depending on this show to be, you know, successful. Um, but yeah, I feel like I don't want to let people down, basically. Well, I'll, I'll say um, for, for everybody who has had a, a hard time or the best night of their lives, thanks to your music. Thanks a lot, man. Well, thank you. And also, I have to say, all the you've said so many nice things about me mm -hmm. this whole time, and I just want to say thank you to you, because I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. That was Tom Powers' conversation with a pop songwriter and producer Max Martin. I saw Anne Juliet when it was here in Toronto a little while back before it opened on Broadway. And I had this moment while watching the show because the, the songs, all of Max's songs are woven into the story and they come one after another. And I had a moment watching it of sitting back and thinking like, holy smokes, these were all created by one person. It could make your head pop off if you really stop to think about it. And how cool to hear him do a deep dive on his songwriting process. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Have a listen to this. Well, I've always looked up to the adults and thought they had it all figured out. And then I turned 18, thought I'd be living the dream, but it all came crashing. 
That's a bit of the title track from Erez Zobari's album Healthy Habits. It came out last month. She is a Toronto-based singer, and she's here to introduce us to one of the songs from the record that gets at this balancing act she's kind of in the middle of. By day, teaching at a high school. By night, making music. Erez joined me to talk about the project and to introduce us to the first single from the album. It's called Stuck. Erez Zobari, welcome to Q. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. Let's let's talk first about some of your influences here. You've talked about Amy Winehouse. You've talked about Stevie Wonder. When did you first discover their music? I first discovered their music when I was very young. Um, my dad was a singer and was in a band with his sisters. And music was always just a really big part of our family, whether it was prayers during Shabbat dinner or, you know, just any any weekday having music in the house. So from a very young age, I was, you know, listening to Amy and Stevie and Joni Mitchell. Um, and it was just kind of always flowing through my household. What kind of music did your dad sing when he was younger? He sang a lot of um, disco music. Like he was really into Earth, Wind and Fire and like Stevie Wonder. And so I think he was kind of flexing those muscles even before I was born. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your own artistry in just a moment. But first, I read somewhere that you are living sort of a double life. And besides pursuing music, you also work as a high school teacher during the day. Yeah. It's funny. My friends are like, you're Hannah Montana because during the day you're just in these schools in Toronto. And then at night, like, do your students know that you're you're gigging and you're just like out singing? I think like having so many things that I like to do is a beautiful thing, but also can complicate things because I'm trying to manage so much. And I think what my new album, Healthy Habits, is kind of all about is feeling burnt out and having to really sit yourself down and say, okay, I got to I got to approach this in a way where I don't get burnt out. So the kind of the double life is a beautiful thing, um, but definitely has taken a toll with like time management for me. I am also living a bit of a double life right now. And I understand what you're saying on a on a very deep level. I want to know I, I want to ask you more about that. But but first, like the being a teacher thing, does that impact your art? Like knowing that you have students that you're responsible for that are going to maybe hear what you are recording or see what you're putting out on video? For sure. I'm I'm constantly thinking about, you know, like, is this content appropriate? Would I want people of all ages to hear this? What would they think if they if they started playing it in class, which they do, they often search up my name and play my music in class. And I get very embarrassed. I think also just being around high school students going through their own transitionary period and giving them advice and trying to help them get through these really big life changes, like going from high school to college or university and graduating. And I'm thinking a lot about like, what do people really want and need to hear during these hard or exciting life moments? Um, so, so that definitely impacts the music in the message. I, I try to always, you know, have some sort of positive little morsel, even if the song is about something really intense or sad, I try to always put something uplifting in. It's, it's definitely funny having, uh, that double life and managing like, what content can I put out? What can I wear on stage? What can I talk about? I try not to swear. Does that bug you as an artist? Like, do you feel like you have to self-censor in a way or is it, is it sort of on brand anyway, in terms of what's in your artist heart? 
I think it's on brand. I think I have a bit of like a grandma energy anyways. <laughs> so it, it actually works out perfectly for me. And I like, you know, I like having shows in Toronto and looking out into the audience and seeing people who are from like legal age up until like 60, 70, 80, like my grandmother and a lot of our grandparents used to come to the shows. And I, I always was so happy that no one ever thought that was like a weird thing. Like it was always a beautiful thing. Everyone is welcome. Everyone can listen. And even posting online, um, a lot of people are commenting on healthy habits are stuck and being like, wow, I'm 45 and I still feel this way. So it's, it's nice that it's relatable and people can, you know, see themselves in the music, but I still feel comfortable with the content. Yeah. I want to get back to that sort of double life thing that we were talking about a bit earlier and stuck, which is the name of the song that you're going to introduce for us um, that you mentioned. So tell me a little bit about the, the inspiration behind this song. I think it came out of a lot of conversations between myself, David Lipson and Adam Eisen, who are my collaborators and co-writers on the song. It was the first song we ever wrote from the project. And we made a list of all the things that we felt really confused about in life, which was actually quite overwhelming to really see it on paper. Like it was more than we even thought. We started kind of with this list and initially it was called stream of consciousness just because it kind of felt like almost a word vomit. We were just getting out everything that was on our minds. Um, and really, it ended up being called stuck because every time we talked about these feelings, yes, we were talking about our anxieties and things that were stressing us out, but it always came back to this feeling of being stuck and not knowing exactly how to approach next steps. Um, so really, the the song came out of three friends kind of talking about life and being confused and feeling stuck. And serving up some some hard truths that sound very fun. The the lyric that really got me, I don't know if you mind saying it, because it kind of goes by fast in the song, but it's the one that starts with, I left my real job. Do you, do you mind saying that for us? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're talking um, about it? Yeah. I left my real job to pursue this. Some days I question what the use is. I hear the industry is ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I think... That that line is really just about like, I ended up leaving an amazing nonprofit that I worked for full time for three or four years last summer to really pursue music more. And I think that was just one of the big questions, like, can I even handle the music industry? Is it even an industry that I want to handle? How do I approach this industry when I, you know, maybe don't feel comfortable with a lot of the things that I'm seeing or hearing or experiencing? And I think that's so normal to have these doubts and these like second guesses about these large decisions you're making, like to leave a, a career that I genuinely thought I would be in fully, you know, until I retired. And I just something in me was saying, like, you got to you got to take a step back and, and try music more. Before we hear the song, do you have an answer for yourself about, you know, what what the use is, whether it's worth it, all of that? Yeah, I think. I think it changes so often. I think right now where I'm sitting is that I love creating and I love working with my collaborators. And that to me is like the most fulfilling part of my life. And I'm trying to approach the industry in a way where I don't lose my values and I stick very closely to what I believe. And I've had to say no to a lot of amazing opportunities. But if that means that, you know, I get to kind of maintain my inner peace, I think that that's how I'm just going to keep approaching it. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I think we got to listen to the song now. Would you introduce it for us? 
Yes. So my name is Ara Zobari, and this is my song Stuck off of my recent album, Healthy Habits. I didn't sign up for this mystery. Some days I question what I should believe. I wish my therapist would guide me. Some of my friends are getting married. Maybe not all, but damn, that's scary. Sure, I'm in love, but I'm not ready. Each day I clock in and I try my best. Keep cashing paychecks till I die, I guess. But at least I've got myself a standing desk. by Toronto artist Erez Zobari. It's one of six tracks from her latest album, Healthy Habits, which is out now. You can listen wherever you get your music. And that's it for the show today. Q is produced by Dion Codrington, Ben Edwards, Vanessa Greco, Vanessa Nigro, Glory Amateo, Mitch Pollock, Catherine Stockhausen, and Jennifer Warren. Our digital team is Amelia Ekbal, Shuli Grossman-Gray, and Vivian Rashat. Our podcast producer is Caitlin Swan. Our director is Matthew Murphy. Our engineer is Sam Hashimi. Liz Hossein was our senior producer this week. Anne McKeegan is the executive producer of Q. My name's Talia Schlanger. I'm sitting in for Tom Power, and I'll see you next time. No, don't freak out. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.